Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Ladies and gentlemen, record geeks, retired plate spinners, and millennials who want to impress their parents with their record collections. Welcome to the RhinoCast podcast, brought to you by Rhino Records. Get ready for new releases, deep tracks, and conversations with your favorite artists and bands. And balloons for the kitties. And now, your hosts with the most, Rich Mahan and Dennis the Menace. On this episode of the Rhino Podcast, special guest Mario McNulty, producer and engineer with David Bowie, speaks about his work on the new Bowie box set, Loving the Alien. Dennis. How you doing? I'm doing well today. How are you? Well, you know, in the mail the other day, I got my very own David Bowie Loving the Alien 1983 to 1988 box set. And nice. Yeah. Yeah. And I've got it in my hands. So I don't even know where to start here. But we could start with this bound book. I mean, we're talking original lyrics, handwritten lyrics, and all these photos and narrative and, and concert posters from around the world. It's, it's wild, just the book alone. I mean, I think that's why it weighs so much. Well, you gave the date range there on that box set, but what albums are included in this one? We've got Let's Dance. We've got, and I know you're going to want to talk about this, Glass Spider, Live Montreal, 1987. Mm. Produced by Bowie, by the way which is interesting. Yeah. We've got, okay, this is why we're here. 
I mean, we're here for the box set, but I've got the original Never Let Me Down, and then I've got the completely reimagined 2018 Never Let Me Down, and you know who our guest today is. Mario McNulty. He was Bowie's longtime engineer and the producer of the reimagined Never Let Me Down. And I mean, reimagined is is the word I used, but this is kind of like taking a building and bringing it right down to the literally the the skeleton of the building and then building a, a whole new human being around it. It's no secret. Bowie was very public about his disdain for the production on the original version of Never Let Me Down. He loved the songs, but he felt like the album did not do the songs justice. And it was Bowie's wish that the album be redone. Mario and David actually talked about this when they kind of did a prototype of what they did here on this new record with Time Will Crawl a while back. Before we lost David, he and Mario kind of did a prototype of what this new Never Let Me Down 2018 is by releasing Time Will Crawl and, and doing this whole thing with stripping it down and bringing in some of Bowie's most well-known musicians. But on this new full length, in addition to those musicians, as well, I don't want to, spoiler alert, Laurie Anderson is on this, among other people. That's cool. Yeah, it's incredible. We've got Mario today, and he's going to go deep into the reimagined version of Never Let Me Down from the Loving the Alien box set. Besides that album, which is totally brand new and previously unreleased, there is another previously unreleased record, and that is the two-disc Serious Moonlight from the Let's Dance Tour, and that's live in 1983. Man, the songs on this just sound fantastic, because that was the band that really knew how to rock those songs. And it's got all the great Bowie classics on it as well, so it's a really cool live album that's never been out before. I mean, cover of White Light, White Heat, and then there's this whole band introduction to Space Oddity, and I mean, Cat People, it's it's incredible. It's an incredible double CD release. Really cool period for Bowie, too. There was some really creative, interesting songs. Loved that. And then the album that followed that, Tonight, which had the hit Blue Jean on it, that's on there. The other things that are in this box set are these two albums that are a single CD. One is called Dance, and the other is called Recall 4. And Dance has all the long versions and the extended mixes of everything from Blue Jean to Tonight to Day In, Day Out, Time Will Crawl, Never Let Me Down. But the Never Let Me Down is a dub acapella. I mean, incredible, incredible stuff. And then Recall, for those that are real Bowie collectors, and I'm, I'm amongst them, we're talking the single versions of Let's Dance, China Girl, Modern Love. This is not America. That that song from Falcon and the Snowman is on here. That he did with Pat Metheny Group. Exactly. And then vinyl album edits of some of the things from Never Let Me Down. Live version, get this, Let's Dance, Tina Turner with David Bowie. Also tonight with Tina Turner. And of course, you know, Dancing in the Street duet with Mick Jagger. That was a huge hit. That was massive. It was. It was, it was a huge hit. But the thing is that it's so easy to just say, oh, great, another box set. What have they come up with, you know, to sell us music now? But this is not that. I mean, I'm, again, I'm, I'm piling them up on the mixing board here. Not only gorgeous, not only sounds great, but there's a lot of heart and soul put in to this box set. Bowie fans are going to love this because I guarantee it there's a bunch of music on here you haven't heard before. 
So let's get into this reimagined version of Never Let Me Down, and let's get on to our conversation with Mario McNulty. Can't wait. Mario McNulty, welcome to the Rhino Podcast. Thanks for spending some time with us today. You're welcome. Thanks very much for having me. You have a long history with David Bowie and his material. Now, am I right? Was the first work you did with him on the 2004 Diamond Dogs project, or was there something before that? The first project I did with David was the reality album. And that album we did, I think, end of 02, early 03 is when we started it, something like that. But yes, so that was my first project with David, and I remained with him for a long time. (laughs) Did you meet him through Philip Glass, perhaps, who I know you were an intern for? I had worked at that studio, and this is no secret because I knew David worked there. <laughs> I, had try- I had tried to obtain an internship there because of that. So I got very, very lucky. I got the internship, and then about eight weeks later, I was hired as the assistant engineer. And I spent almost a year working at that studio doing various projects for Philip but also the other projects that would be coming in and out of the studio. And in that time, I met David. And because of that, we became friendly, and I met a lot of people during that year, but that was obviously a goal of mine to work for David. So after about a year, I became a freelance engineer and started working for him. Bowie purists are always cynical about these kind of reimaginings of the master's work. Mm -hmm. But in the case of this record, it was a decade ago that Bowie asked you to remix Time Will Crawl Mm -hmm. with Sterling Campbell on drums for the I Select compilation. And I believe his words were something like, Oh, to redo the rest of the album, but he also used the word awful. So can you go into a bit more detail of why he was never satisfied with it? I mean, it was the production, it wasn't the songs, obviously. That's the short story. You have it correct already. It was the production, not the songs. But that's what he said in print to redo the album. and And he said a lot of things on the record and print, like this album is a bitter disappointment. Lots of things that he said that aren't a secret. That makes everybody feel good in a sense that, okay, even in print, he's saying these kinds of things. But obviously the stuff, the conversations I had with him just one-on-one or at his house or in the studio, he broke it down in detail, why he didn't like it, the things he didn't like. And of course, with the first song, Time Will Crawl, how he wanted to approach it. When I got the call from him in 2008, he called me and said, come on over, I've got this idea. So I had always known that he wasn't happy with the album but I didn't really know in detail until 2008 when I went over that one day and he said, this is what I want to do. I want to take a track off Time Will Crawl and I want to redo it, essentially. I said, okay. I mean, it's David, so I'm not really going to say anything, but yeah, cool. Let's do it. <laughs> exactly. You know? He started laying out ideas right away. I mean, one of them was like, I want to put acoustic drums. I want to do a string quartet kind of like this. I want to rearrange this. I want to move this. And and, and it wasn't all fully realized at that moment, but it was basically his outline of ideas. So I took notes and said, right, let's do it. And so then we called Sterling Campbell and started making arrangements. And within a few weeks, it was done. Production aside, this is really important. Again, for for the Bowie purists, These are great songs. He felt really close to these songs. I think so, yeah. I mean, that's according to him, luckily. I mean, I can't speak for David, but he basically said in lots of different interviews in different ways, yes, he loved these songs and he felt disappointed that he couldn't do justice to these songs and that the production on this album, he would roll his eyes every time he'd hear the album. Because of that, 
he thought, well, I want a chance one day to redo this album, to have another shot at it, to do justice to these songs that he really loves. But moving forward with the knowledge that you had in talking to him, certainly, you know, fuels this kind of work in a very different way than, than say, a label saying, hey, listen, we want to hire you to remix a record. Oh, this is totally not that scenario at all. I mean, that's an important thing, I think, for, like you're saying, the Bowie purists to understand. I mean, you got to keep in mind, this would never happen unless David wanted it to happen. Do you know what I mean? Yes. It's right. not like a label or even the estate. It's not like anybody just saying, oh, this would be fun. Let's take these master tapes and muck about and see what it would sound like with some strings on them or <laughs> whatever. You know, that's it's not this at all. It's purely because David had spoken about it in depth and said, this is something that I want to happen. Otherwise, I'm, we would not be here talking about this. Um, Absolutely. So I think right. that's really important for the purists to know. And the other thing is that if there are the Bowie purists that really like Never Let Me Down, that's cool. And it's not going anywhere. I mean, it's also, it's part of the box set as well. I mean, and it's still in existence. It's not like an album that David actually said, okay, I want it deleted or omitted from my canon. It's still there. There are songs where that did happen, where he really just said, all right, no, that's gone. I, I don't want to ever see it or hear about it again. The Bowie purists will know which song I'm talking about. That has happened before, and that didn't happen with Never Let Me Down. So the new version is available alongside the old version. So Mario, did your work with him on Time Will Crawl, did that kind of inform how you approached the rest of the songs on the album when you redid it? Absolutely. Yeah, it had to. I mean, that was a big, big part of me figuring out how to interpret the rest of the album. Yeah, that was very important. And of course, my history with David and talking about his influences and what he loved and his ideas for Sonics looking forward, that was a big, big part of making this. And that helped me get the band together. Because Sterling was an easy choice because he was obviously already on Time Will Crawl. If David liked it, I wasn't going to mess with it. You know what I mean? Right. I mean, this album is made for David. I have to stress that a lot. It's me making this album with the mantra of saying to myself, but also saying to the core band every day, look, you got to imagine that David's here. So I want you to keep that in mind every day and play like that. Because there's Absolutely. a certain kind of mindset and frame of mind that happens when David's in the room, and you need to try and recreate that. It definitely helped create the vision for how to interpret every song. The original was recorded in Montreux and then also at Power Station. Right. Your choice of Electric Lady, was that both because it was in New York City and, of course, the vibe? I love that studio. I love the vibe there. But I think mainly it was also because that's where I did Time Will Crawl with David in 2008. The things that I could keep the same that David had officially signed off on, those were things that were important to me. If David liked something or approved of something or was enthusiastic or that sort of thing, then that was ingrained in my head. When you start the process, restart the process for a project like this, and you decide what to keep and what to reimagine, obviously keeping the bones, the stems, that's important. Did you give yourself some filters for the process? Yeah. I'll try to answer it like this. Maybe this will answer it in a different way. Because you're saying like keeping the stems and the bones. Not as much as you would think. Really, it's all been mostly subtracted. So you do have David and his original vocal and most of, well, actually all of his backing vocals. 
the other backing vocals on the album, most of them are gone, but some of them are still there. Obviously ones that I felt were appropriate. There's a lot of Robin Clark coming out through there, and I think those moments really are beautiful. They work well. It's really a lot of subtraction, so all of the previous drum machine, all those bones, those are all gone. When I started it, going through master tapes and finding the right takes and doing all that stuff, I kept all of David's vocals and also kept all of his acoustic guitars and all of his electric guitars. So he actually does have some electric guitars on the album, particularly in 87 and Cry, and maybe also uh, New York's In Love. But So when he had electric guitars... I kept them. Acoustic guitars, I kept them. So the rest of the track, barring a few bits here and there, for example, like Peter Frampton's sitar and zeros is a good example, I put that back into the track because I thought it really worked. It's really a brand new band. You know what I mean? So those bones are gone. Wow. So you just have that melody and the lyric and the vocal of David. So you're building around that. I went into my studio this morning, queued up each CD and literally pressed play at exactly the same time and then did a lot of, <laughs> I really geeked out. I did a lot of a okay, yeah. What we would love you to do, because we want to compare and contrast on the podcast, but also in working with Sterling Campbell, David Torn, Reeves, mm-hmm. you know, Nico for the string quartet arrangements. And of course, mm-hmm. The one and only Laurie Anderson, who I know you worked with on Heart of a Dog. Cool. Yeah, I've been working with her for since 2004. So I've done... Yes. And I mixed her yes. last album as well. Yeah, I've done tons and tons of work with her. I love her. She's amazing. One track right off the bat, it's getting a different kind of feedback, probably because it's the most conceptual track on the album, but that's Glass Spiders. It's obviously very different. The original Glass Spider wasn't working for various reasons. It had this non-serious, cheesy element to it, and you felt like it was more like part of the Labyrinth soundtrack than a Bowie record. That was my feeling on it. The content of his vibe and his lyrics and what he's saying has a kind of a dark overtone to it. Wasn't there. And musically, it was feeling a bit chaotic in some way. So that's a transformation where I was really taking a lot of influences from various sources and, of course, stuff that David and I spoke about, mainly Scott Walker, Nine Inch Nails, Massive Attack. Those are kinds of influences that do help with that song. And that song is now a much longer song. I've added a complete ambient intro to it. The song doesn't kick off until you've kind of already stepped into the dark world a little bit. And then once you do that, you hear David's voice, you've taken into like the second stage of the song. And then the band kicks in and you get into the mayhem aspect of it. But the original track, it's almost completely gone. David's vocals, all of his backing vocals, they're all there. On the new one, there's a lot of Reeves and Torn, Reeves Gabrels and David Torn, pretty much kind of dueling each other. (laughs) (laughs) In the background of David's sort of terrifying vocal going on, it's kind of a chant. I mean, Reeves even called it kind of a tone poem. It's not a traditional song. It's got this spoken word at the beginning, and then it goes into the chant at the end.
one distinction about that song is it's the only song in the new record that is programmed electronic drum done by Stephen Wolf. So I have new programmed bass and drum elements on that song on purpose. I mean, that's to give it a darker feeling. Like, because a lot of the album is a band feel recorded live with big room mics at Electric Lady. This was a little bit of a departure just to keep it in that world. It was a bit more conceptual. So those are newly programmed drums and bass on that. Did Boyk record to a click or did you have to map the track to be able to do that? No, I had to map every track from the master tape. There was no original click track or anything like that. So I just had to map everything out very methodically. Great. Take us with the second song. A Shining Star. I mentioned that, well, mainly because you mentioned Lori, and so I might as well speak about that too. Yes. Shining Star, I think, as far as the original album is concerned, was the one that was kind of the most challenging in a sense. When I first got into David really, really heavily, I had to go backwards in the catalog. It was about 96 that the obsession began. <laughs> and so by the time I got Never Let Me Down, I was just thinking, oh my gosh, there's a lot of stuff on here that I'm not digging. But Shining Star was probably the standout. And the rap or the method rap, I think that's what they called it in the liner notes, method rap by Mickey Rourke in the bridge. It just wasn't happening, so I wanted to replace it. I think that's the best way to say it. I wanted to get rid of it. <laughs> so that song took a little while kind of because I approached it last. It was almost like I was working on one song at a time, and finally I got there. And then once I came to a vision, I called Laurie and thought this would be a serious, appropriate voice saying this word which the content even though i don't know exactly what david's talking about but it's heavy and it sounds serious i can't think of anybody that did it justice like Lori did it sounds angelic almost luckily she said yes and agreed to do it so she came over to my studio and we kept all the lyrics exactly intact the way they are and i hope it comes across well but that's another track similar to glass spider in the sense that almost everything in the original track is gone from it you know, there's a, a, a wow. couple bits, obviously, David's vocals. And now you have a new track, and obviously it's a halftime feel. So this has program drums and acoustic drums. And Tim LaFabe, new bass guitar. And, of course, Reeves and David Torn are both on this track, too. So it's got a very textural feeling, too. It's a little, obviously, more in the avant-garde overall, but then the chorus is still a dark pop song, but it's got kind of like Smokey Robinson chorus, but in the darkness somehow. <laughs> All right, let's do a little compare and contrast with the two different versions of Shining Star. Here's the first one with Mickey Rourke. Now here's some of Shining Star from the 2018 version of Never Let Me Down with Laurie Anderson. Shouting. 
I think when I'm listening to it, one of the things that strikes me is how much better both the drums and the synth sound, everything sounds so much fuller and has so much more life to it and depth. But besides changing the tone on the drums on the album, many of the beats changed as well. Oh, yeah. So yeah. where did you get your ideas for changing the beats around? It kind of happened organically. Like Shining Star, for example, the original beat on that was driving me crazy. It was just double-time program beat with this clap that was getting in the way of everything and i just went in the complete opposite direction and did more of a, a halftime hip-hop feel for that and yeah. it's an old school simple beat that i think works it wasn't really too complicated i was trying to make it less complicated make it groove a little bit more really to emphasize david and so that the vocal could be appreciated all the beats happened organically i have to give a lot of credit to sterling campbell on one in particular and this is bang bang we were in the studio, we were doing some takes of Bang Bang, and essentially a similar drum beat to the original, but of course on the acoustic drums. And things were actually sounding really good. But then Sterling came back and he says, I have this idea, let me do a take with a halftime feel. And I kind of had a moment of, uh-oh, that was a song that I knew strings were going on. So because of that, I had Nico arranging things he was in another country at the time. So I, I immediately kind of got a little scared thinking, uh-oh, I've already da 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 And he goes, no, 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 think of, he goes, think of Moon Age Daydream, like the feel in that song. And, of course, Bowie fans know what that is. And so I said, okay, cool, all right, let's try it. So Sterling and Tim went back in, worked on it for a second. By the time I got to the verse and Sterling was playing the halftime feel, it was obvious and he was right. I was like, it was super genius. And I said, okay, this has, it has to be like this. Okay, let's do a little A-B with Bang Bang also. Here's the original. Now, this ain't the right thing to do. So, so let's, so let's go! version of Bang Bang off Never Let Me Down 2018. So let's, 
now whereas the previous version it was previous version had its own issues but it's tough to rock anyways with those program drums versus the real drums there's a better feel to all of these songs as a result there really is i mean it's very organic too this is not a chopped up record with you know grid line that it's not that kind of record it's a real organic record so i agree i think it grooves that one in particular has an amazing feel to it so sterling gets a lot of credit for that so he's an, an <laughs> incredible drummer yeah yeah one of the things mario that you've said about never let me down is that it was and i hate to use this word we can use pick a word a product a thing of the 80s you know and and a lot yeah. of things happened quote a lot of things happened in the 80s and we all you know we all lived through this so now yeah it's an album for 2018, and it's a very different world where many of us do feel let down. <laughs> so, you know, it's kind of interesting how something transforms via the decade it appears in. You're not wrong at all. I think the, the one strange thing, though, is that there seems to be something, and this is across so many genres, that there's something that happened in the 80s. It really kind of kicked off in the mid-80s and then kind of lasted through up until maybe... 8990 where everything just kind of went into overdrive overboard of that sound and it was like a lot of new technology was happening and i think that a lot of bands artists producers labels even i think a lot of people just didn't know what to do with it it was a new sound that was happening and they didn't really know what to do you might have had a band that had success in the 70s or even 60s and they're having successful record one after the other but then the 80s come along and they're, they're kind of making the same sort of songs, but they're, it's with this new awkward sound and it somehow doesn't mesh. And then there's bands that came up in that era that had started in that era that knew how to work with that sound. They somehow grew up in it. So they weren't coming from the 70s. They were starting out in the 80s. Depeche Mode, for example, I, I don't listen to Black Celebration and think that it sounds dated. I think it sounds like a masterpiece. I think it sounds perfect. And that is an album with those kinds of sounds. And there's tons of examples, but there are bands from the era where they were kind of the new kids on the block. They did yeah. the new school of bands. And they somehow knew how to incorporate that. Whereas the, the bands that were had been around a while, they hadn't quite figured that out. They were still stuck in like rolling tape and doing things with microphones that they didn't know how to adapt to it immediately, you know. So there's something from that era that's different from all the other eras. It just, and whenever people hear stuff, they immediately recognize it. And a lot of times it's, it's like a cringe fest. The guitar tones, too. I noticed that. You have that out-of-phase Strat yep. sound on some of these songs that sounds so dated. Almost all the guitars are... There were so many dated-sounding guitars on the old album, and there was really only a few that made it. You know what I mean? Because if, yeah. if it sounded really dated or really chorusy, like there was a heavy chorus effect on a lot of those guitars. Oh, sure. You know, like they're having like a boss chorus pedal or whatever they were using. It sounds a lot. A lot of it sounds like that. It's just like, oh man, right. that's because the performances are all good. It's it's like none of these musicians on the original are. They're all spectacular, really. It's they're all great players and people it's just sure a sign of the time so i could stack up maybe a good sounding performance or solo from 
a guitar player and put it up against the new tracks and it still wouldn't fit sonically it was just so like you said sticking out like a sore thumb so you almost had to even if you like the performance sometimes it's just dang i had to get some new tones in there you know so luckily reeves and reeves cabrales and david torn were really did an amazing job of doing that you mentioned peter frampton's sitar mm -hmm. what else did you discover or rediscover that you actually did keep on the new version was there anything here's a big one on the first track day in day out there's actually a complete horn section that I recomped to put into the new version that was on an old tape that they didn't use. Wow, those cool. Horns are, That's cool. Those horns, those horns are original, originally recorded in 86. So there's a couple little spots in the original day in, day out where you hear those horns, but they're only little kind of blips here and there. But... As I dug through the tapes, I found there's whole horn sections on there that they obviously recorded and didn't use, and they replaced them with these synthesizers. Yeah, um, those synthesizers are obviously now gone. But I thought this is great. I've been needing some content to fill this musical spot anyway. I like the way these sounds, and it's the classic Borneo horns that David loved. These guys, and they're on Let's Dance. They're they're on lots of Bowie songs. I thought perfect. recording them now it doesn't matter i mean look i didn't i didn't have to replace things just to replace them you know what i mean if something worked then i kept it and this was a good example of just i recomp the horns and now they're a feature in day in day out and that's the borneo horns saxophones trio 72.5 percent, and that's not an exact number of these kind of things are quite simply remixes you know or their discovery of older tracks that are dusty and never really sounded that great in the first place. But this really, I mean, if we were to get to categorize it, this is a reimagining, you know, the bones were there, right? And Bowie wrote the songs. Mm -hmm. Bowie, it, mm -hmm. he knew they were great songs, but they were songs even back then. I mean, imagine being him and knowing that you have a, a record that's in need of help. This is at that level. 
think about it this way. It's almost like being handed a very fancy demo. Just imagine David handing me, like, all right, here you go. Here's the, the demo. Now go make the album. But you have to keep all these elements. I'm not going to re-sing anything. Here's the vocal. It, go, to, go to work. That's kind of what it's like. It's like being handed a very fancy demo, and you make the album around that. But yes, you're right. Like you said, it is unlike all those other examples. It's really, in a sense, it's unprecedented. We could not think of the band and I. We're trying to figure out if there were other examples where this has been done, and we couldn't think of one. It still haven't, you know, months and months later, still have not been able to find one. I think this is really the first one. In the overall Loving the Alien box set, you're reworking this record, of course, as one of the unreleased gems. The other is the live album, Serious Moonlight. Yeah, yeah. Do you have any tracks off of that that you really love? That Were there any things that really caught your ear? I think the material, because Let's Dance had come out and because it was at that time that those songs were so big, those seemed to really flourish with the band that he had at the moment. You know what I mean? Like that. that yeah. The the band that he had assembled, that David had assembled of the moment, suited the material from Let's Dance really well. Right. So when you hear those songs, they seem to really be fresh and jump out. It doesn't mean, I mean, the others are Bowie classics. I mean, they're they're brilliant as well. But those seem to be the ones that are really stand out. David was already very successful and he was a huge star, but this was something else. So Sirius Moonlight came along, and wow, he's he turned into a stadium act for that. I mean, there's pictures of him, and there's 60,000 people in front of him. It's, <laughs> it's already impressive if you're playing a 15,000-seat arena, but now you're doing stadiums, and it's 60,000 people or whatever. And those pop songs really shine in, in those environments. Nile has his personality on that record very much, but it's still a Bowie record. It might have sounded more like a dance, disco, chic kind of thing if there was no David there. But David wrote the songs, and Nile did a great job producing them the way he did. But it's certainly unique. It sounds like really nothing else. It's got this danceable R&B, very heavily influenced, still the space alien of David underneath, you know. Have you conjured up any other Bowie tracks based on either talking to him or knowledge or just personal choice that you would do similar work with? Sort of, yes, but not <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Do tell. Come on, yeah. Mario. This is the Rhino no, podcast. No. Do tell. Yeah. I've thought about stuff, but that will be kept under wraps for now. There's a lot more Bowie. I mean, this box set ends at 1988. So yes, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, there's a lot more. There's a lot more Bowie. That's <laughs> where sure I'm is. going uh, to go along. So 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 who knows what's going to go on there? Bravo to the people, and we know who they are who made that phone call to you. Congrats, you did a fantastic job. Well, let, thank you, and let's let's give some props. Yes, yeah, so so the the first phone call was by Nigel Reeve at Parlophone in the UK. So, and then of course we, we have working with Jason Elsey here and the LA American counterpart. And thanks to the Bowie estate too, who they were very great about everything that's been going on with this album. So it's been a real, real pleasure. It's been really great. This is spectacular. Yeah. Mario, thank you so much for your time today. You're so welcome. And, and thank you guys for having me and taking the time. It's really been fun. Thank you.
What's phenomenal about this 2018 version of Never Let Me Down is taking a record that the artist wasn't excited about the production in the first place and having that as the vision and saying, you know what? I'm going to rebuild this. I bet that Bowie is looking down from heaven and just going, wow, I wish that was the original. It's like Mario said, if you liked the original, the original's still around and it's in this box set. But the new one is too. And I think that, I think a lot of people are going to fall in love with this record because it doesn't sound dated. It sounds exciting and fresh and vibrant. And he did such a good job with it. And one of the things I liked about this conversation with Mario was Bowie is this mysterious figure. And it was almost like getting to hanging with David for a little bit, talking with Mario and hearing the inside scoop on these things. Where can people find this box set and what formats and all that good stuff? The David Bowie Loving the Alien box set is out now. It's in stores. It's available digitally, but physically it comes as an 11 CD box set and a 15 LP vinyl box set, which is something to behold. Imagine mailing that to your friends for Christmas. Yeah, I know. Thanks very much for tuning in to this episode of the Rhino Podcast. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button and make sure you tell a friend about us. Executive producers for Rhino, John Hughes and Lauren Goldberg. Produced for Rhino by Pop Colt and Rich Mayhan Promotions. All rights reserved. Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. 